0: Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. I'm Eric Skoskauspo. Well guys, I hope you've recovered uh, from that massive uh, live draft pod we had with the Winnie Cures Everything guys. Um, It's three hours of pod. I, I needed a week off after that. I don't know about you guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was that was some craziness. I think even by our own unhinged draft standards, a three and a half hour marathon uh, was was absolutely epic. I think sometime two or a, two and a half, three hours in, when the "winning cures everything" stream went online, and then we started getting peppered with online questions. I started to be like when is this going to end? <laughs> Cause all of a sudden we have all these people being like, Hey, answer this question, answer this question. And I'm like, okay, I guess we're going past midnight, but yeah, it was fun.
2: We'll have to, we'll have to tinker around and play with like maybe, maybe doing a live stream for another one of our pods. Uh, Cause I thought that was pretty fun.
0: That, that was definitely really, really cool. Uh, so a lot on the docket to talk about tonight. Um, we've got a recap of the NFL draft. You've got some Northwestern guys, uh, you're making the pros. We've got uh, some recruiting
1: news, some big recruiting news. Uh, it's it's you, honestly, it's hard to remember, I mean, an episode where there's so much meat on the bone across so many different sports. It's really interesting. Yeah. And b-
0: before we get to that, we got to talk uh, women's sports. Um, lacrosse won their first ever Big Ten championship, uh, yeah. or Big Ten tournament, I'm, excuse me, Big Ten tournament, which is, it, it blew my mind that that is actually... We'd never won the Big Ten tournament before. That's, that's wild. And then softball finishes off the regular season with a, a bit of a disappointing, uh, series in Minnesota, but, you know, Minnesota's a phenomenal team. And, uh, we took one up, we took one up there and that was great. Uh, unfortunately the, the next two were, were losses and, you know, that kept us from a share of the Big Ten regular season championship, but the Big Ten tournament for softball starting up this weekend. So, I mean, and softball is going to the NCAA tournament. I mean, let's that, let's not sugarcoat that they're they're going to be fine. They, they had a a phenomenal conference season. Um, where, where should we start? Should we talk uh, lacrosse or softball? Where do we want to go?
1: Well, in kind of the interest of of hitting both, and and we can you know maybe dive into lacrosse first. But I think it, an interesting way to get at this is to juxtapose. The respective afternoons last weekend, I guess Sunday, had by Danielle Williams and Selena Lasota. Um, it's a day that they both started incredibly important games and neither of them finished. Um, in the case of Williams, um, I think, you know, she was a little low on gas in the tank, I think. And when I think two or three innings got touched up by a few runs and ultimately gave way to the relief. And in uh, Selena Lasota's case, got her second yellow card um, for a shot. It's interesting the intricacies of women's lacrosse. I mean, basically, she had a, a defender go across her path right as she was shooting, and she ended up just smacking the girl right in the back. Um, drilling her. <laughs> yeah, drilling her. Um, and uh, and that was her second yellow, so she didn't finish the game either. And I think it's interesting to, to juxtapose those two because – Selena Lasota is a senior. Danielle Williams is a freshman. They're both obviously two of the best athletes, you know, in Williams' case already, um, that Northwestern – female athletes Northwestern has seen over the past decade, if not longer. And ultimately, it was a day that ended in disappointment for Williams and a day that ended in absolute triumph for Selena Lasota. And I guess if there's a thread here, it's that Lasota is someone who was – you know, the bridesmaid, so to speak, for a lot of her career, as good as she was from a team achievement perspective. And basically, at least in the Big Ten, ends on top. And, and you know, it's exactly the kind of thing Williams should be looking for, uh, looking toward to be like, look, the softball team came really close to that regular season, um, sharing that regular season title. They missed it by a single game. Um, but, you know, Williams can look to LaSota and be like, um, brighter things are definitely on the horizon because Lasota was walking off that Johns Hopkins field, clutching that big 10 tournament trophy high over her head. And that was a pretty awesome thing to watch.
2: It was incredible. Uh, It was really incredible. And I like we've, we've talked a lot about the lacrosse team um, over the life of our podcast, given that, you know, we got, we got this thing off the ground in 20, late 2010. I was still in the midst of their, NCAA championship run the last of those coming in 2012 and we've talked another a number of times of you know not not in a not in a hot takey way but in a you know can Northwestern recapture the magic magic and get get back to that level because you know Amante Hiller brought a very tenacious style uh to lacrosse it was a win the draw and own possession, and prevent your, your opponent from having the opportunity to score. We were winning national championships like 9 to 7, those types of scores. I believe the introduction of the shot clock happened uh, toward the end of Northwestern's reign, maybe shortly thereafter. And I think she's had to adapt her system and her style, and Northwestern has had to, over the course of the last eight years, become a more offensive team without sacrificing on the defensive side. And we've, you know, we've talked a bit this year about, you know, Lasota has been awesome for four years, but the emergent, uh, emergence of McCone and Izzy Skane, uh, Lauren Gilbert, these other players that have been able to share the load. I mean, Lasota is absolutely the engine that drives this team. And you saw when she went out at the end of that game that offensively, we, we were not able to operate um, without her on the field. And that's not because we don't have other good players. It's because she is so phenomenal uh, that she commands the attention of the defense, and that gives those other players the opportunity to shine. Without those other players, Northwestern would, would also be in trouble because they wouldn't have options to score. Everybody would just collapse on La Soda, and that'd be it. But um, I, this this season was, you know, Northwestern plays one of the toughest, conference, toughest schedules uh, in the country every year. There were some early season struggles. We saw first kind of the offense jump up you know, midseason, And then the last month or so, the defense has really stepped up and Northwestern put the smack down on Michigan in the first, first round of the big, Ten or the first game of the big 10 tournament. They, I mean, they, they basically run ruled them the, the equivalent in lacrosse. They won by 10. And then until Lesota was, was off the field, we're going to beat Maryland by six or seven. That's a team that hasn't lost all year. That's a team that hasn't lost in the Big Ten since 2015. What?
1: Yeah, I think just it's, incredible. It was absolutely. I mean, and it's just really this is a team that's gotten better all season long. Um, I mean, started in a good place, like you said, the really tough schedule, a couple tight losses. I mean, it's easy to forget that this team barely lost to Syracuse, barely lost to Boston College, um, and and yet, yeah, and of course, the Maryland game to revisit that. That was kind of you know the loss was kind of a wonky loss. I mean, you're talking about a game that gets moved to an indoor venue halfway through this halfway through the game. No, it was, uh, it, was
0: it was pretty close to the end. I mean, there was there was time was starting to run out, and it was right. Time. But I mean, but wait, right wait, exactly. Wait, can, I,
2: can can tinfoil hat Eric jump in real please. quick, yeah. please? Bec- so that game, like when they when they went inside and it was raining, it was 12-12, It was tied, but we were like trading haymakers with Maryland. You go inside to the dry area, give Maryland an opportunity to kind of regroup, and then they just they took over the game, right? For those last few minutes, um, kind of put it out of reach. Uh, this game again played outdoors in the rain. Right. I, they, there's there's some there's some little tiny tiny thing there that like I just like pray for rain during the NCAA championship. That's all I'm going to say.
1: Yeah, uh, but it's funny again though. To the credit of the team, right? They lose that weird game to Maryland. Since then, they've won five games, and four of them have been against top ten teams. Two of them have been two of them have been against top five teams. One of them was against the number one team in the country, and that's why the Cats are rolling into the NCAA tournament uh, as the number four overall seed. And that's why we have an offensive player of the year in Lesota and uh, the co-coach of the year. In Cali Amonti Hiller, with uh, I think Maryland's coach too, but um, who, who played together
2: at Maryland? Did they uh, really? play together. Yes. That's wild.
1: They, they played
2: together for uh, I think the Maryland coach is two years older than, than Amonti Hiller, and but her sophomore and freshman year um, at Maryland, they they played together, which right. is, which is incredible.
1: But again, it goes back to I mean legitimately what you said about the defense is true i mean we were talking early on in the season about how this team was just the boston college game being an example um the duke game being an example of just defense optional and just playing air raid style and just trying to win by one goal but the down the stretch the defense has been a lot better the maryland game being and the michigan game being the crowning result i mean between michigan and maryland they scored 20 goals combined which again that's a fair amount of goals but it's not a fair amount of goals when you put in goals like we do um we will take the other team scoring 10 every single game because we have the best offense in the country and for all of those reasons it's we are as strong as any team coming into this tournament um i'd say there's a pretty good chance we may see maryland again in the tournament or notre dame or boston college um, and quite possibly more than one of those teams, and it's going to make for a fantastic postseason. Well, you know
0: it's... the the opening round. So by going uh, by winning the Big Ten tournament, Northwestern gets the four seed in the NCAA tournament, which means a home game, um, and they will get the winner of Notre Dame and Stanford, uh, who play. Their are opening round game and then Northwestern gets the winner in the quarterfinals. So, you know, get kind of get the buy into the quarters and, uh, you know, Syracuse was the four seed Syracuse drops to five and, you know, we get that, we get that home game.
2: That's, uh, that's a tough draw. Plus I like, I just want to be like having Syracuse, Notre Dame, Stanford. I thought maybe Penn was in there too. Is Penn playing Syracuse first round? Or, or or maybe maybe the the first round matchup that feeds to Syracuse in the second round includes Penn, but that's like some serious firepower in Northwestern's corner of the bracket. Um, but you know, like based on the last month, there's no reason that the Cats can't come out of that and be in the mix in the Final Four, make a run at this thing. It would be very exciting. Um, I did want to call out uh, uh, Mallory Mallory Mat Weiss or Weiss, um, depending on how she pronounces it, but Northwestern's goaltending against Maryland was next level. Um, it was really, really good. She's she's really improved throughout the year. Um the other the other point I want to make, and I, you know, I talked a little bit about past Northwestern teams. One of the biggest aspects about kind of like the original manifestation of Northwestern Women's lacrosse when they went to the quarterfinals in like their second year as a as a D one team and then won the national championship the following year they had the Kester twins and um, I, I think Kristen Gelman was on those teams as as kind of the top scorer but draw controls was one of the hugest strategic components of Northwestern's game they 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 emphasized that so much once they got control they just didn't let the other team have it for minutes upon minutes as you know i mentioned the shot clock thing earlier and if they did lose the draw just ha- like the intensity of defense and of of harrying the other team and cr- forcing turnovers was was really prevalent that has reemerged <clears throat> this year for the first time i i in my recollection like watching the draw controls against maryland it's like maryland could not get control uh from the draw circle it was it was really really impressive um we talked about the defense. It's worth noting that they completely shut down Michigan's top score twice in the last two weeks, uh, and th- like this team is firing on all cylinders. So this is going to be a really really exciting postseason with women's lacrosse, like a la you know the twenty the twenty ten to twenty twelve heyday.
0: Uh, so uh, just pulling up the bracket here, yeah. Uh, so Notre Dame, Stanford, we get the winner. Uh, then Penn and Georgetown, Syracuse gets the winner, and then you know we would. We would go there. Um, we're in Maryland's side of the bracket, so we could see Maryland in the Final Four, and uh, you know who knows what what could what happened there. BC is the two seed on the other side, with uh, North Carolina is the three seed. So, um,
2: you know what's amazing with the exception of Stanford, we've played every one of those teams in the regular season. That's good. I mean, it's, it's wild.
1: It's- and it's great, too. It's crazy. I mean, it's, it's prep. I mean, this team will have to So, seen yeah. Um, that
0: starts up uh, this weekend is the opening opening round um, as we record this on Wednesday. Friday is the uh, Notre Dame-Stanford game. And then Sunday is uh, we, we play the winner. So hopefully the weather will be nice. Um, or maybe not, as, as the case may be. <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll, not. We'll see how that goes. Um, softball. A, a light rain is all I'm asking for. Little, little more, little less than what we're about to get right now as, as we record with this major thunderstorm rolling in. Um, but let's talk softball. Uh, you know, cats were undefeated in the Big Ten, uh, going into this final weekend up in Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota takes two of three. Uh, like we said, uh, jumped all over Danielle Williams there early, kind of yeah, knocked her out, and then. You know, game two, after game one, yet another comeback for the Cats. You know, they, they've been doing that quite a bit uh, down, you know, down well, the stretch.
2: So, sort of. I mean, they won one, one zip.
0: But it's it was, so... it was, a, it was, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like that one was scored late, wasn't it?
1: Oh yeah. It, it was, it was, but I, think I, honestly, I don't like... think
0: you can call it a comeback if
1: it was tied. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. But fair.
0: like late inning heroics. Is that, right. would that be better? Absolutely. Fair, fair, fair.
1: Um, I think, you know, the, in the case of this team, I think it's, you don't want to really pour much cold water because in all honesty, the third game, Minnesota picked up a couple of runs early and that kind of ended up being the end of it. Um, and obviously the first game was really close. The middle game, um, was the one that got away from us. I don't think Williams pitched in that game, um, but
2: this oh, is... Oh, oh, oh no, she, she did.
1: Yeah. Oh, she, oh okay. Well, hang yeah, on. Yeah, me...
2: she, she started and got pulled after two innings.
1: Yeah, so the, the... Ultimately, you know, we don't... And I think we'll circle back to this because the, this has been such an amazing season. And, you know, these Minnesota dates were circled for a long time. Um, and ultimately, a couple of these games were very close and... You know, despite the fact that we took one out of three against a really good Minnesota team um, and played two of the games pretty close, I almost think, and Skuz, I, I know you want to go here, that I think we maybe had a little strategy backfire um, in this game and that, that ultimately might have hurt us in the long run, um, but I don't know. What do you think about in terms of Williams' usage across this series? So um,
2: Amber Fizzer is the ace at Minnesota and her her record this she actually had seven losses this year um four of those were very very early in non-conference play all against SEC opponents and then she had one loss against Texas um but never really gave up a ton of runs in any of those games she happened to lose against Illinois mid-year in a in a 3-4 game which is again kind of surprising um Northwestern taking the first game one zip from Minnesota with Williams and Fizzer basically going, like, ace against ace was was huge, right? Like, that sets up Northwestern in pole position. I would have thought that Game 2 would have featured the, the back half of the battery for each team. And Northwestern started Danielle Williams. And... I think the idea was that Fizzer wasn't going to start that second game and she didn't Minnesota brought in, um, Sydney Smith to start that game and, and it backfired. Uh, Minnesota scored three runs in the first inning. They brought in Fizzer, uh, later in the game to just to shut down the cats. Uh, and I, I, I think, I think, we went for, like, let's throw our ace out there on day two and try to win this game and wrap this all up. And then when we came back on on day three in an absolute must-win situation, Williams just didn't, didn't have the... I mean, she would pitched two days in a row. Like I know softball is very different from baseball for 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 those that are thinking that way. Fizzer came out and pitched seven shutout innings again on the third on the third game. I mean, she was absolutely lights out. She's a total power pitcher. And, and even um, even when
0: she came in relief in game two, she was yes. it was
2: lights out. She like was, she struck she, out everybody. She was untouchable. So like I get it. I you know I think the coaches were probably looking at like wow we we took this first game awesome we don't we don't want to risk you know having to go having having to put Williams against Fizzer again in game three and um and give Minnesota that that potential you know opportunity especially being at home and stuff like let's go for it in game two and and it just didn't work I, I think and that's really too bad it's it's unfortunate um I think there was a there, I think there was a hang I was watching at this t- at the time there was a hanging curve in the first in the first inning that Got launched for a home run. Um, it just didn't, you know, it didn't go well. And then, and then Northwestern's bats, right? Like Fizzer, totally shut us down. We 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 couldn't do anything offensively. Uh, we'd get a couple hits here and there, but um, that you know that third game, it was it was a one hitter, not even just a shutout, but a one hitter, one walk, uh, just mowing down the cat. So, c'est la vie. You know, let's let's gear up for the Big Ten tournament and then postseason. Um, I you know to me this, like you said, I think Sam at the top. Like Minnesota was the eighth ranked team in the country coming into this matchup. Northwestern was 14th. They were, they had one loss, one big 10 loss on the season. The, you know, they're, they're the defending, uh, big 10 champion two times over. So, uh, this, you know, they were always going to be a really tough opponent and it being in their barn, et cetera, et cetera. It is what it is, right? Um, I don't know where the Big Ten tournament is being hosted, but uh, maybe we'll get another shot at
1: them on a neutral site. I believe I it's in it's, Bloomington. I think it's in Indiana. Yeah. I, okay. And you know, one of the takeaways, and, and you're right. And again, I, I, who are who are we to argue with Big Ten Coach of the Year Kate Drohan? Oh yeah,
2: none of my comments should be taken as like <laughs> no, as like questioning
1: no. the choices here. I just, I, but it's you know, but it's, but I think we, what you're saying though rings true and I think one of the things that it illuminates is there I think in the interest of looking forward beyond the Big Ten tournament because this is a team that has college world series potential written all over it uh, and I think get used to that for the Danielle Williams era for sure but I think this is a team that season long I mean we've talked about it nationally our bats are not amazing but regionally and within the Big Ten, they're certainly respectable. We've got a couple girls who can hit. Just our freshmen alone um, have some real hitting potential. And if you look across the whole Big Ten season, this team has not had trouble generating runs, including against Wisconsin. who We was destroyed
2: ranked, everybody. Right.
1: Everybody in Minnesota, we destroyed them. The one, But the one exception, and this is the important thing, Oklahoma, right, Washington – and these Minnesota series. And I think that's, that's kind of what I'm saying is looking ahead. When you get to the top teams in the country, um, they will have an ACE on the level of Minnesota's ACE. And that's where we're going to run into trouble. And again, if hindsight being what it is, because if, if what you're saying is true and Williams hadn't pitched at all in game two against Minnesota and had her full force against Minnesota, maybe we end up in the same kind of nail biter in game three that we ended up with in game one. But that's probably how things are going to lay out in later rounds of the NCAA tournament. If we make it because she is probably the best pitcher in the big 10. She's big 10 freshman of the year. Um, and she is one i still one of the top 25 best softball players in the country. But she at the national level against the elite competition, I think our bats ability to support her is going to go down a long way. And again, it's like that's not to say we don't have good bats. It's just this is a team that has put itself in the conversation for a women's college world series or national championship consideration. So it's like – we can't judge our bats against the Big Ten. Like, because of Williams, this team has higher aspirations, and it's just like that's kind of – you can look ahead and see, okay, that's what the ceiling is going to be potentially, but so, that's not to take anything away from a team that has pitched and slugged in the Big Ten all season long.
2: Well, I so I have only one small quibble with everything you said, which I think is spot on, and that's that Oklahoma is the unanimously ranked number one team in women's softball right now. Oh, right. They are, they are 48 and two. Right. And number two is Washington, whom we played a really close game against. Oh, and that's the thing. Oklahoma Oklahoma might
1: be head and shoulders above literally everyone. Oh, and you can look at the Washington loss too and be like, that's the formula for us beating them too. I mean, we lost three to, we lost three to one in that game. Um, And that, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, It's – to my point, it's that like those are the teams we're measuring ourselves against. It's like we ain't measuring ourselves against like Michigan State. (laughs) Let's put it that way, right? (laughs) Or like any of the last 15 teams we steamrolled heading into the Minnesota series. It's just like this team is is thinking College World Series. That's what this team's goal is. And I think – yeah.
2: And and sh- and should we come up against Oklahoma? There's there's no doubt we're going to be outclassed, and it would be you know it'd be a huge upset for us for us to beat them for sure. Um, but I don't. There's any other team out there like we can play with them. Um, UCLA is maybe the one other one that you know could they're that they're one of the teams that beat OU this year. Like, and they're I think forty five and three. Uh, number three overall like they like they have the potential to maybe get up into that that super tier as well but i mean based on the facts we have on the ground right that we got smoked in two games by oklahoma and then took washington in the brink like <clears throat> we can play with anyone I mean, not in a Sooner uniform right and- it's like
1: it's like it's like a fresh dose of perspective that would be like our football team being like well, Alabama would beat us. Clemson, <laughs> Clemson would beat us. Clemson, maybe. <laughs> Anybody else, we probably play them tight or win. Yeah, it's oh, like.
2: Some, someday, boys,
1: someday. It, yeah. So it's, I mean, uh, which is all a way of saying, I mean, it's like, yeah, the s- slim margins. The team finishes with two losses. They don't get the regular season tournament. But we all have the knowledge that this is a team with a unbelievable ace on the battery mm-hmm. and uh, potential to do. Major thing. So, I mean, it's like 2 women's sports, you know, white-knuckling it through the postseason. Like, it's going to be really exciting to see how far these two teams can go. So, yeah. the Big the
0: Big Ten tournament starts on Thursday. Um, Indiana plays Penn State. Uh, Northwestern gets the winner of that on Friday. And then Saturday is the uh, semifinals and finals. So, um, you know, it could be Northwestern v. Minnesota again in the semis. Uh, and then... The, the championship game starts immediately after the uh, northwest well the that half of the time I'm not going to just say that we're going to beat Indiana or Penn State but you know if if seating holds it would be Northwestern Minnesota immediately followed by the Big Ten championship game
2: and and, and Michigan is <clears throat> the team that won the Big Ten championship this year we did not play them Minnesota did not play them they have been like runner up to minnesota the last 2 years i think they won the title the year before that like they they're another powerhouse in the conference they're only ranked 21st in the country like they don't have they have, their record is is 37 and 11 but they only lost one big 10 game all year so um that's another like that's another interesting one kind of looming uh, as as we go through this big 10 tournament it'll be really interesting to see whomever plays each other across northwestern minnesota and michigan um That'll just kind of be fascinating to see who who comes out on top.
0: Shall we turn our attention to football here, gentlemen?
2: Well, real real quick, I just I I think we need to just give a little yeah, bit of, absolutely. of uh mention to the women's golf team. Um I can't speak to any specifics other than that I know that they made the NCAA championship. Uh and I and I think there's somebody who put who posted up a course record yesterday. Um
1: Yeah, Brooke Riley. She thank you. put us put up a sixty-five. <laughs> <laughs> damn um she set uh she set uh the course record at the golf club yeah so that's that's really exciting
2: as well and like we we've we've talked about women's sports off and on throughout the years of our podcast um this year far and away uh across <laughs> yeah boy. you know women's basketball um the 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 resurgence of the lacrosse program and then this this um softball season and throwing golf as well. Like it's, it's, it's been next level. It's been unbelievable. Um, it's funny. Like, like I'm just going to wax like philosophical here for a moment because
0: before you do, let's not forget the women's tennis team, which made the NCAA tournament as well. Uh, they lost to Princeton in the opening round four to one, but yet another Mm -hmm. women's sport that uh, made the postseason.
2: And I just, and I like, I want to, so I like, we have, we have all like, structured our lives around, around college football, particularly Northwestern college football for basically as long as I've known the two of you. Um, now that we're all older with kids and, you know, maybe not getting out as much on the weekends as we used to. Um, like I don't, I don't think I've had more fun watching Northwestern sports outside of the fall. Um, ever before this season, like this was, this was an incredible, incredible, uh, last two or three months of being able to tune in and catch these games. Like obviously all like often in weird streaming situations, but um, I just, it was, it was, it was really, really enjoyable. And, um, and it just, it really stands out relative to the past, like 20 years of my Northwestern fandom of that were very football and, and basketball focused.
1: And let's, and and let's tack this on too, because if any of y- all of you who are our long-time n- listeners know that we're degenerate football fans, and you all know <laughs> that the last two weeks... We, we did a three-hour live podcast yeah, of the bloody draft that, last that, week, for God's sake. And you know that the last two weeks, especially this past week, have been seismic weeks for Northwestern football. And you know, we know that you tuned in to, to listen to us talk about it. We want to talk about it, but... There was so much on the plate with women's sports. I mean, like, what can you say? Like, two coaches of the year, two teams that certainly are in the comp, like, conversation for national title runs. Um, it's just, there was just so much there. The women have just put it on, and it's just like, we're, you know, it's awesome that we were able to heap some accolades on them, um, and give them their due. Um, and now that we've gotten to do that, we get to just dive in and talk about some sweet ass Northwestern football stuff. <laughs>
0: So as we speak about uh, Northwestern football, let's first start with a uh, little bit of a recap of the uh, Northwestern players in the NFL draft. Clayton Thorson, uh taken in the 5th round by Philly. Um and I, I think, you know, Ooh, was wh- it 5th? In my head I thought it was 6th, 5th round. That's fifth. even better than I thought. Yeah. 5th round pick by Philly and you know, that it's a it's a perfect situation for him.
1: I mean, I mean I don't know. I just I I see him getting shelved for years there and not getting any reps. I mean, if there's anything Philadelphia never does, it's have the starting quarterback get hurt and have the backup quarterback come in and have to to get meaningful (laughs) reps. Uh, So I just assume we won't see... I assume Clayton's going to disappear into a black hole and we'll never see him again. Um, Oh, man. Oh, man. I mean, honestly, honestly, I joke, it's so likely to happen that it's honestly a little scary. I mean, you're going in and going into an environment where people kind of expect your awesome starting quarterback to get hurt because Carson Wentz has gotten hurt each of the past two years. And Nick false, uh, came in two years in a row and did really well in backup duty. And again, it's like, you know, on one hand, I mean,
0: winning a super bowl is, is doing a little bit more than
1: you. Right. Well. Be- beating Tom Brady. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, it's like, exactly. So it's like, it's Clayton. To say Clayton has backup quarterback Phil's, uh, shoes to fill is is putting it lightly. On the other hand, you're in an awesome situation. It's a situation where you probably are going to get the shot to be the backup quarterback. It's a he, he's, go- he's going up against Nate Sudfeld and Luis right. Perez. Right. So. I mean, so and and again, the team sunk a fifth round pick into you. They obviously are interested in him. Um, the Northwestern pedigree is well-established in the NFL now and in Um, Philly I mean Kafka played in Philly absolutely and probable future head coach Mike Kafka played in Philly and and he's gonna get to to be behind Wentz who you know I think in a lot of ways is a similar model of quarterback um he's not you know it's it's the right situation it's a great situation and of course there is that potential for a situation where Thorson is suddenly getting really meaningful reps at some time, if not this coming season and the following season, but still, yeah, I mean, you, you can't complain. It's, it's a pretty cool situation.
2: Yeah. And then I think, I think to get a little bit more technical about it, like it's, this is a very quarterback friendly system that Doug Peterson has set up in Philly. It's um, now what's it, what'll be interesting is it's an RPO heavy offense and that's, different i think from what um what Thorson ran at Northwestern uh it'll be really interesting to see him in that in that setup in that mold um i think you know the the other the other really interesting thing to watch as the season gets going is what does Nick Foles look like in a different environment namely my he's going to Miami Jacksonville right? or Jacksonville Jacksonville yeah what does Nick Foles look like in Jacksonville because if Nick Foles goes to Jacksonville and he's and he's incredible, I mean, that's a staff that's been offensively challenged for, for as long as I can remember. Um, that, that would potentially indicate that it was more Foles and less the system, but every NFL talking head that I've listened to over the last three years, like as they were going to the Super Bowl, as the Eagles were entering this past season, once Wentz got hurt again and Foles began to play again and continued to look good again, and everybody kind of looked at him and was like, he's literally no different than Case Keenum but he does well in this system because it's such a QB friendly system like that could be really really great for Thorson um
0: i mean we we we've seen Nick Foles play in other systems that aren't the Doug Peterson system and Nick Foles has been fairly mediocre most of his career you know, he goes, well
2: i like the like chip kelly though's like tends to make all quarterbacks mediocre so i mean I don't know.
0: but he he was mediocre with the rams and then you know, well, you had a couple okay, other stuff, Jeff, Jeff Fisher, yeah. like <laughs> that, that's some seven to but, nine BS right there. Th- you
1: have I a think, good point. You have a good point. I think another important thing too, is it's great for Clayton to get into a situation where he's valued, where he's the presumptive backup quarterback. Like you said, I mean, he's, there's still a job competition here, but, but they sunk a pick into him, right? I mean, they're going to give him every opportunity to win that backup job, but he's not going to have to play at least right away. And we've Clayton's been hurt for so long now that I just, and he's played so many games. I mean, that's the thing. It's so wild just to look back and, you know, we've all had our ups and downs with Clayton, but he's won more games than any Northwestern quarterback. And to do that, first of all, you have to play the max amount of games. And he's played so many games. He's got so many miles and the whole last season he was nursing an injury all through the whole season. He just sitting for him and getting healthier is going to be a huge asset to him, especially in the RPO game. So, um, I think, yeah, it's no complaints. It's a great situation for him. We all, you know, just knock wood that there's not some sort of set of events that lead to Thorson getting thrown into a Philadelphia pressure cooker early on in this season. But, um, Still, good team, good situation, happy for them. Um, you, know what, you know what's extra
2: great about that situation? They get to play the Giants, Redskins, and Cowboys each twice.
1: <laughs> True. Hey, don't besmirch the Flynn Nagel, Garrett Dickerson, New York Giants. <laughs> I know. The
2: irony of, of all of our uh, all of our smack talk about Daniel Jones is that in rookie camp, he's throwing to Flynn Nagel. Oh, man. Uh other cats
0: making the NFL this year. Jordan Thompson signed with the Colts, Blake Hance with the Bills, Montre Hardinge with the Dolphins, Nate Hall with the Cowboys, and then uh after a rookie camp, uh Tommy Doles got signed by the Bears. So
1: That's cool. I think the one that's most interesting for me of thatness is Hall with the Cowboys. Just because Campbell had some success with the Cowboys, Joseph Jones, right, had a little bit of success with the Cowboys. I think, right? That's where that's where he got his and
2: Cairo's there right Cairo
1: now. Cairo is there now. Right. So I think the, the I think Dallas has been a pretty good fit for Northwestern Wildcats. And I think it seems that, you know, especially in a reserve role, since obviously, right, Joseph Jones would be the model for what the kind of career Nate Hall's looking to put together now that he's in the league. Um, and and Jones was able to do that. I think he's able to get those kind of spot plays. Uh, I mean, and jo- Jones, has
0: been, he's been a monster special teamer for the
1: Broncos. Right. Right, and he got that start in Dallas. Went to, I, I think, if I'm right, or you know, did he go Dallas, Seattle, then Denver? Is that what it was? I believe I
0: that. I believe that was
1: the yeah. As, was the and he was kind of as a special teams guy became that monster special teams guy, and then found that role with Denver. And I, you know, you could see Hall doing the exact same thing. So, so yeah, no, I think that's an that's a really interesting one. I think that could be a really great starting spot for Hall. I'm
2: excited for Hardage. I think. uh that I, I, it, it feels like a decent landing spot for him um, in Miami. They've got a lot of, you know, he's not going to be looked to, to be a to be a starter, but there's plenty of rotational opportunities for him there. And I just, I, th- I think he's, I, I, think he's the t- the exact type of player, much like a, uh, who's oh my gosh, who's the the Northwestern. Cornerback that played with the Bears for a while and the right Texans Sh- for Sh- a while. Sherrick, Sherrick, Sh- 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 yes, yes. Much like Sherrick, like, like Sherrick, Sh- I don't believe was drafted. Uh, if he was, it was late. Hardage, just his measurables, like his speed, it just it doesn't it it doesn't translate from something like the combine or a pro day. But I really, really think they're going to see him in camp and see how good he is in actual coverage with pads on, and they're going to be like, wow, we got we got a steal here. Um not an every-down starter, but a guy that can really, really contribute in the secondary, and I'm, I'm excited for his opportunity. What do you think about
1: Thompson to the Colts? Gets to play with Walker again? Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Um, and again, I think Thompson, the biggest thing for him is just he's got to get healthy. I think, you know, he's, he's got that injury issue that he's got to work over. He's got the surgery. So, you know, you, you hope with the timetable that he's able to get into a camp and, and be healthy in that camp, healthy enough to perform and everything. But absolutely, I think he's the kind of guy who was, again, we talked about this in our recruiting deep dive, was a big recruit. And was a solid player for Northwestern, and was pro football focuses top graded offensive lineman. I think a defensive lineman against the run as a senior. Um, he's a guy with great technique and deceptive strength for his for his size. And yeah, absolutely, I think you put him in the right situation if he gets a fair shot in camp and he's healthy. I think he's gonna have a great shot to win a job. Speaking of recruiting, shall we uh,
2: talk a little uh, offensive line?
1: Oh my gosh! Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> I've, I'm gonna I,
2: start introducing myself as Eric Trenchcat Scousebow. Oh my but gosh. I, but I'm not big enough to pass as an O lineman. <laughs> I'm I'm
1: almost proud of us that for 41 minutes we didn't talk about this. <laughs> um, this is it's because we've I, we've
2: only spent sent each other like. 3,000 text messages in the last
1: week and a half, though. Yeah. All right. Let me – I mean, before we start the Kurt Anderson love fest, uh, let me just tee it up this way. Um, Last week, I think it was, what, last Wednesday, we signed an offensive lineman. And that offensive lineman picked Northwestern over offers from Ohio State, Michigan – Miami Auburn uh Tennessee Michigan State and Nebraska and he wasn't the highest rated offensive lineman (laughs) we signed that week (laughs) Kurt Kurt trench cats buddy he's tweeting WWE videos and he's crushing it out on the recruiting trail I mean whoa Nelly this offensive line class that's coming together lord have mercy
0: yeah josh preeb and peter Skaronsky. uh those those names you should have at the, at the front of mind for the next several years because they are going to be stalwarts of what has every indication of being a awesome o-line for the next four to five years
2: Ben, Ben Rayther too. Oh yeah, who, for sure. Uh, yeah. Who, who had a Penn state offer, um, and, and, and took Northwestern. I mean, Purdue, West Virginia, uh, Vanderbilt, um, not, not quite as highly pedigreed as, as those other guys. But, um, I mean, we just kicked the crap out of all, all the top programs for these guys. And I think like, there's been some, some, I've seen some people push back on Twitter or other, or other places around like, oh, well the best commits commit later or, you know, some of that sort of stuff. And like, No no man no
1: no 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 no. this
2: is fundamentally different from any profile of offensive line recruit we have seen before during the pat fitzgerald era you can go back to gary barnett and some of his his recruiting classes post citrus bowl you can even look at what walker was able to do with guys like austin king and jeff rail and uh zach streif um those types of players but we have not seen players with this type of pedigree, specifically competing offers from those types of schools, come to play offensive line at Northwestern. And when you juxtapose that against the performance from our O-line over the last six years, this is astronomical.
1: <laughs> I, it's, it's so funny. Um, Skoronsky, you know, for all of you longtime listeners and readers of the site, we, you know, we identified in our four-star recruiting. I mean, we've talked about this a lot. You know, you all read the, the pieces that we put up. And if you haven't, go back and read them. All the work that we've done to identify the type of top recruit who's liable to sign with Northwestern and, and that sweet spot guy. And there were three this, uh, this year um, were the guys from Illinois public schools who also have a Notre Dame or a Stanford offer or both. Skoronsky was right in that group and we called him, um, you know, we called him probably the, of the three sweet spot guys, the guy most likely to sign, but he had a Notre Dame offer and picked Notre Dame. And, and again, like we on one of the other sweet spot guys, Riley Mills, the defensive lineman signed with Notre Dame this week, but that's Notre Dame and Northwestern splitting two of the top four recruits in the state of Illinois in the span of a week. I'll take that. If is that just the way that it's going to be from now on? I'm more than happy to split fifty percent <laughs> of the four star recruits with Notre Dame. That Sign will, me up, baby. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm good with that. Um, the second thing to everyone who's you know who's saying that stuff about um, everything you were saying, guys, like this, whatever. The who anyone who wants to be Debbie Downers. Um, first of all, Skaronsky, people need to know. In addition to being the four-star offensive line recruit and top four recruit in the state of Illinois and guy with all these top offers, including the Notre Dame offer is also like the reigning state champion in several field events in track and field, Um, which is just one way of saying he freakishly strong. That's why (laughs) he's such a good offensive lineman. Um, And that's just one way of getting into my real argument to, Anybody who's t- trying to find a negative, watch Skoronsky's tape and watch Josh Freeb- Preve's friggin tape. Whoa, Nelly, if you want to know why Preeb had seven major power five offers, it's because he's kind of like vaguely criminally vicious. he's he plays he plays for this high school edwardsburg in michigan where they just run double wing and they run all day and all he does is pull block and lie on top of people and like this guy when when he's coming at you he ain't checking to see if you know he's coming at you he hits he's gonna hit you as hard as he can and if you try to get up he's gonna hit you another time and then he'll sit on you Um, he is a true guard in every sense of the word. Like the idea that he and Skoronsky would be manning the same side of a line on running plays is crazy. Um, and again, I don't want to throw shade at Rayther and we also should throw into this in terms of this whole trench cats thing, Tara Edwards, the word for us is that Tara Edwards and height might have something to do with this. He's listed at six, three. He's going to play defensive tackle for us, okay? He had a laundry list of offers, too, including from Michigan and Penn State and several schools. Michigan, Michigan
2: State, Penn State. Yeah. uh, Interest from Wisconsin.
1: Right. They Michigan was recruiting him to play guard. In other words, we've signed four guys in the 2020 class that Michigan and Penn State wanted to play. So, like, basically... When you add last year and fold it into the equation, one player from last year, we have five guys in the 2019 and 2020 recruiting class that basically could start left to right for Penn State or Michigan. Um, that's the level of offensive line class that we're putting in right now. And again, it's Anderson, it's the facilities, but um, we really should talk about Anderson because it's like he's... He looks like an actor playing a great offensive line coach right now, <laughs> and he's he's crushing it.
2: Well, like so, facilities, yes, having an impact. Um, coming off the Big Ten West championship, yes, having an impact. We are not seeing this uptick at any other position group like we're seeing in O line. Like we've we've. I, it's funny in one of these. I think in this article about Skaransky, it, it comments on, on this is on rivals. It comments about how Fitz has never beaten out Ohio State for a recruit. Well, that's not true because Afadi Adenabo, like, right, right, did did the hat dance and everything, right? Um, but maybe on O line, uh, that's true, or maybe on on you know on offense, that's true. But point being, like we haven't seen this at O line. Like we've we've beat out other big teams for running backs um, we've been in the mix well maybe receivers maybe another one where we haven't we haven't done that a ton but like on the defensive side certainly we've been in the in the mix for a lot of big players um, over the years we've been bringing in four-star guys at quarterback at running back etc cetera, etc cetera. we just haven't seen this from o line and when you read the articles or the interviews with Kurt Anderson he just he feels like one of these larger than life, like super intense coaches that just loves to be in the trenches, loves to be with the O line. Um, we, I mean, we talked a little bit. You go back a couple months, and we're talking on the podcast about um, some of these superbacks that Northwestern's been recruiting. That he was recruiting when he was back at Arkansas. Uh, some of those things, and like you just like all the all the signs thus far, all the signposts have been really good. I mean, we got, we got to see what the development looks like. We got to see what the unit looks like when they get on the field. So, I mean, like our evaluation of Kurt Anderson, the coach is not going to be complete for at least another two to three years, but right now it looks really fricking awesome.
1: Um, You know, another point that I want to make too relative to this is, um, you know, friend of the pod, Louis Viqueire had an article up on rivals this week talking about um, two other offensive linemen who were kind of in the mix Um, and in terms of, is our offensive line complete because Connor McLaughlin, a guy from Florida, four star offensive lineman, um, you know, had expressed realist interest Ozzy Trapillo or Trapillo, who I think is from Massachusetts. I want to say Boston, a really tall offensive lineman. I think he's six, eight, he'd Mm -hmm. expressed real interest too. Um, and, and, and again, like Trapillo Trapeo maybe a higher chance of signing. McLaughlin, again, only because we've done these real deep dives. There's no precedent for a guy from the Deep South who's a four-star recruit who has offers from notable schools, and McLaughlin has a Miami offer, um, picking the cats over a school like Miami, Um I'm not saying it couldn't happen. I'm saying there's there's no precedent for it. Like a guy like Skoronsky we could look and be like, look, given everything, there's a really good chance we got a shot at this guy, and we did, and we got him. But the guy who wasn't even mentioned in those two guys is Zach Zinter, the guy who's also from Massachusetts, four-star guard, who took an official visit to Northwestern and was definitely really interested. And um, I think he went to Ben Olson's. he goes to Ben Olson's high school um, in Massachusetts. And this is all to say, right, it's not just that we've signed three and really four big offensive linemen in this class. It's that many more guys than that were interested, which is the kind of thing that the big powerhouse schools get to enjoy all the time where you can go to a guy like Preve and be like, just so you know, there are like four four-star guys considering us right now. We'd sure love if you pulled the trigger right now, and you don't know how much that factors in or not, but we know that that factors in for a lot of bigger schools where they can be like look you know we are Ohio State and we're rec- we're only taking x amount of running backs this year you know you need to sign on the dotted line right now cuz otherwise someone's going to take your spot And we've never really had that because, hey, we can't give out a heck of a lot of scholarships. But for whatever reason this year, you know, between guys who are academically qualified and Kurt Anderson's recruiting ability and the facilities and and the success of the team, etc., there were a lot of guys who were top offensive linemen who were strongly considering Northwestern and are still potentially. I mean, it's not a closed book that we don't sign one more of these guys, but... It is, if we sit on this group of offensive linemen, it is a blue chip class. It is a Penn State Michigan offensive line. And, um, yeah, it's considering that this is the position of need at Northwestern. You've got to feel good.
0: Yeah. And absolutely. And, you know, the, all the indications are this is going to be a fairly small class. Um, you know, there's n- not a whole lot more. Uh, off uh, scholarships left to offer but what's interesting and you know this kind of you know we've we've talked about the, the rankings and how like rivals and you know all the recruiting sites rank their uh, re- recruiting classes but at this point Northwestern has the number 14th ranked uh, recruiting class in the country um, now we're going to be wrapped up with the recruiting class like over the summer and you know the other all the other schools will just be adding more and more and more and more And, you know, because it's going to be a small class, that's going to hurt the overall rankings, but you can't be sad or you can't be upset at all with what we've got so far.
2: Yeah. Those rankings always skew so much on, on class size, which is dumb. Like the, like they all have the average star ranking, like, come on, like, can we wake up and do some real analysis here? But, um, but I, I, at the same time, I think it's very, very plausible that Northwestern eclipses. Their top class rank in history, which I think is 47th, um, coming off the the Gator Bowl win in 2012. Um, that was the JJ Thorson, uh, or was it JJ Alvedi? I can't remember. There were a bunch of four star guys in that class. It was it was really really heralded. Um, but it seems like we are on track to potentially jump that class.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's you can look at this class a couple of different ways too. I mean. Aiden Atkinson, 24-7, has bumped him up to a four-star recruit, quarterback. Rivals has him right on the edge. Cam Porter, right on the edge. Um Jaheim Joseph, you know, picked us over Michigan. All the offensive linemen that we just talked about. Abdur... Ab- Ab- yeah, Ab- Abdur, Abdur Rah- Rahman Yassin, also seen right on with, the edge of four-star. Right. I mean, this is... It's a stacked class. It might be, you know, little in terms of personnel, but... Um, this is, I mean, and you know, we've talked about it before. I mean, we do a really good job at developing players at certain positions at Northwestern. And, um, and we've certainly, over the time we've done this pod, transitioned from a mix of two-star and three-star guys to solidly three-star, but now it's solidly three-star guys that are picking Northwestern over other power five schools, other major powers. And, um... It's you know it's it's a slight thing, but you go from landing a bunch of guys who pick northwestern over West Virginia or pick Northwestern over Texas Tech to guys who are picking northwestern over Michigan Penn state, and Notre Dame, and it's that that matters you you bring in enough of those yep. guys it makes a huge difference
2: yep that that really does matter Fitz likes to say that that stars don't matter et cetera that's what's that's what really matters, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I
0: think we can go ahead and, and put a bow on this one. Do you guys have anything else uh, we need to mention before we go? Uh,
2: just you know, like the JJ McCarthy sweepstakes for <laughs> like we're we're already salivating over twenty twenty one class, but we'll we'll hold off on that for a little bit.
1: Yeah, and aside from that, you know, just to, to bring it all back full circle, tune in this weekend. There is. Some serious softball and uh, and lacrosse going on. Um, and this is the postseason journeys for these 2 storied teams uh, begin, and they may not be over for quite a while, Knockwood.
0: Well, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, head to our website, westslotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Uh, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, at Pirates, And you can email the show, Pirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics, and look for us in the Westlawn Bryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the no fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scaswell, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening, we'll see you next time.